From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Last week, the Vermont Supreme Court heard arguments in a case about how police body camera footage gets shared with the public. There's been a wave of recent investigations involving body cam footage. And altogether, they've revealed that sometimes those cameras raise more questions than they answer. July of 2017, a Burlington man named Reed Doyle was walking his dog in uh, Roosevelt Park in Burlington, and he came across what he said was a confrontation between police and some teenagers. And he says he saw what he believed was excessive force. Our criminal justice reporter, Alan Keyes, has been following this case. And he wanted to see the body cam footage to see if what he saw lined up with what the body cam footage would show. But the Burlington Police Department says, not so fast. Correct, correct. He just wants to see it, called the inspect the body cam footage, which wouldn't cost him any money. Just go in and view it. He doesn't want to take it home. He just wants to confirm or see if the body cam footage confirms what he believes he saw. But in order to allow Mr. Doyle to view that footage, the Burlington police says we have to make a copy because we have to make redactions to the video to um, remove images of minors and uh, people who weren't charged or whose cases went to diversion as a result of that incident. What happened next? They say, no, it's going to cost a certain amount of money to view it. He doesn't want to pay the money. He just wants to view it. And eventually it ends up in a lawsuit in Washington County Superior Court. And he's represented by the ACLU. Okay. So the ACLU gets involved, takes it to Washington County Superior Court. What do they say? The judge says rules in favor of the Burlington Police Department. And that led to the appeal from the ACLU to the Supreme Court. Good morning, Your Honors. The matter before the court this morning is the case entitled Reed Doyle versus City of Burlington, docket number 2018-342. What kind of arguments were we hearing from the ACLU in this hearing last week? Just that it's a simple, he just wants to go in, Mr. Doyle wants to go in and view the body cam footage. Making redactions does not mean you're making a copy according to the ACLU. With regard to uh, charging requesters, you can only do so, and there's a quote from Section 316C, uh, when complying with a request for a copy of a public record. The footage is the footage. It's not a copy, according to them. What does the lawyer who's representing the Burlington Police Department say? He says it's any time you manipulate or, or change an original, it is then a copy, in which case you have to pay for that copy under the Public Records Act, as well as the process of making the redactions. In this case, it's a a few hundred dollars. Gotcha. What really is at issue here is it's a verbiage issue. At the most elemental level of public records law, the moment that redactions are applied to original public records, those records cease to be an original and must be treated as a copy. A request to inspect records that need to be copied, reviewed, and redacted prior their prior to being shown to a requester, must be treated as a request for a copy under 316C, regardless of the verbiage that a requester uses. I mean, we at Digger pay a few hundred dollars for public records all the time. What's the big deal? Like, what's the broader significance of this case? Well, there are several groups, First Amendment groups, including the Vermont Journalism Trust, the parent company of Vermont Digger, who have filed amicus briefs in this case. And they did so because if you limit the ability to inspect a record for free, you're eliminating kind of the access people have to watch over their government. This legislature has always said we want to encourage government transparency and government accountability. We want to encourage uh, a free press. We are wary of what uh, a uh, 
what the government will do if it can hide certain records that might be embarrassing to it with exorbitant fees. We want to allow every Vermonter to access those records and not allow it to depend on whether they can afford to pay for it. If a governmental agency is allowed to charge for simply inspecting a record, that could prove a barrier to lots of um, organizations in the public as a whole to viewing records of their town and state government. Including us. Including us. To the city of Burlington, this is an administrative issue. With this video technology still fairly new, someone has to pay for the time it takes to redact a file. I think the thing about technology that you see everywhere is that everything's getting cheaper and faster. So a lot of the problems we have today, which is how much do you charge somebody for spending hours to do something, will be things that are quick or free or just take minutes or seconds later on. This is Burlington Police Chief Brandon Del Pozo. To put a finer point on it, like we're always going to have a question about privacy and transparency and the tensions that they have in Vermont. But that problem will become less acute when the technology allows us to balance both of those quickly and inexpensively. And that's where we're headed. But where we are now, I mean, we're kind of right smack in the middle of some of these cases where there are arguments about what should be made public and what's not. Until we get there, is the answer that we just kind of charge people more money for it? No, I mean, I think that the answer is so even in the last uh, year or two, the speed at which we can do redactions and the scale at which we do them is increasing and uh, the prices are going down. So the answer is just not, hey, it's it's going to charge, uh, you know, we're going to charge a small fortune to do something like that's just that would be in bad faith. What the government is clear about, though, is that, you know, when you're making these redactions and preparing copies for distribution or inspection, um, we can recover the, the cost for that. It, it's not a trivial amount of time. Sure. It is a taxpayer expense where the argument that will be decided is, can we recover costs? But to the ACLU, this is about more than administrative fees. I guess this case will determine the amount of government transparency we have in Vermont. This is Jay Diaz, the attorney we heard representing Reed Doyle. It will determine whether Vermonters, regardless of their uh, income status and regardless of their involvement in any kind of public matter, will actually be able to access government without worrying about the, the cost of those records. At its core, you know, body camera footage, we want to make sure that that is still a public record. We believe it is. There's no reason under our Public Records Act that it shouldn't be. And we think it's a, a vital tool for accountability. So it also seems like the perfect case to bring here where we're talking about the need for transparency and accountability in government. It is the ultimate tool. It is showing us exactly what happened. With the body camera footage in hand, we can really know a lot more about what our government is doing as opposed to reading emails or looking at photographs or, or things like that. We may not see a ruling in the Doyle case for a while. But these questions about accountability and body cameras aren't going anywhere in the meantime. We'll hear more after the break. A quick message from our sponsors this week at AARP Vermont. And please keep in mind that VT Digger is nonpartisan. We don't endorse or warrant the claims of political or advocacy messages. There was a time when access to the internet was considered a luxury, but those days are long gone. Today, fast, reliable, and affordable internet access is as much a necessity as electricity. The digital revolution touches us all. Children needing access to homework, businesses requiring a connection, access to telehealth services, and everybody's need to stay connected with friends and family. A bill now in the State House moves us closer to solving this issue. 
please join AARP Vermont in asking your state senator to support H-513. Alan, what is that like for you as a reporter when you're working on a story and there is body camera footage of an actual incident? How does that affect your reporting? And obviously it confirms the stories that are being told. Is what the police are saying accurate or is what the defense saying accurate based on what the body camera footage shows? There's a case in... Berlin, Vermont, involving the Berlin Police Department in body camera footage that is, according to the officer, ambiguous. A lot of people who have viewed the video, including the officer, says he did not hear the person who ended up getting arrested on drug charges consent to a search. You want me to search the vehicle and its contents? Get it over with? Yeah. Okay. But if you watch the video and listen to the video, you can't hear that. But the officer who did the search says when he was on the scene, he could actually hear it and see the person's mouth moving to agree to the search. But it doesn't pick it up on the body cam footage. There was a case of a teenager who was, um, had an encounter with the Secret Service federal agents in Burlington. He came up to me more. Right that man right there, yes. Let's walk across. We'll talk over here. And that body cam footage was released by the Burlington Police Department. And there's also a case of an officer who's uh, had an encounter with a, with a man at the University of Vermont Medical Center. Douglas Kilburn was found dead days after an encounter with the Burlington City Police Officer Corey Campbell. Kilburn punched the officer in the face, according to police. And Campbell then punched Kilburn to subdue him, according to police. And the medical examiner has determined it was a homicide. People have been trying to get a copy of that body cam footage, which hasn't been released yet. The state police are doing an investigation of that. It seems like, and in each of those cases, like the release of the body cam footage was kind of in a different place or done in a different way, right? When do we typically see this footage? Typically, it's after an investigation has been complete and a case has been closed, unless it's introduced as evidence in the case, at which point then it would become public. There's cases of police shootings, for example, that the state police officer involves shootings that the attorney general's office investigates. And when the shooting happens, we request the body cam footage and are, are denied oftentimes because they'll say there's an investigation ongoing. And then when they announce the conclusion of that investigation, they'll typically have a press conference where they'll actually show the body cam footage. So it's inconsistent, to say the least. Yes, very inconsistent. The other thing about body cameras is that they're only used sometimes. Burlington police officers use them, but most state troopers don't. Local police departments vary. Jay says that's a problem. This is really being done at a piecemeal level. It's agency to agency, police department to police department. That gives us the geographic inequality we have around so many issues in Vermont where you're going to get treated one way in one town and another way in another town. Whether you're a victim or a, or, or a suspect, uh, you never know. We at Digger, at least for, you know, even just the past few weeks, have seen a lot of stories that we've been reporting on that involve body cam usage. And I'm curious, just kind of generally, you know, body cams raise this sort of interesting issue where they can be a police accountability tool. They can also be seen as sort of a surveillance tool. And how do you kind of square those two things? It's not easy to square those two things. And that's why the ACLU has put out a very specific model policy around body camera usage by police departments. We want to make sure that 
law enforcement doesn't use body cameras for just their own purposes. We don't want them to use as a surveillance tool. We want, we want to make sure they don't include facial recognition software. We want to make sure they're not just keeping files on everybody. Uh, and we want to, them to be used to hold people accountable. I mean, the, this discussion really got started after, after Ferguson and when people were fed up with, with law enforcement uses of force without accountability. And the thought was that if officers have body cameras, we'll be able to know what happened instead of just trusting one side of the story. Now what we're seeing is that body camera footage is, is difficult to get. It's not readily accessible when the public wants it. Law enforcement is not publishing it readily when the public wants it, particularly when there's a use of force by a law enforcement officer. And instead, they're being used to exonerate officers in the public eye or to push back against certain narratives. And I think it's a big concern that what was supposed to be an accountability tool is kind of being turned on its head to be for law enforcement purposes only. And that's a dangerous precedent. Has your office kind of pushed that model policy here in Vermont? We have. We were involved in the original discussions to create a statewide model policy. Those discussions didn't end up being entirely fruitful. And the state model policy that's out there from the Law Enforcement Advisory Board, we strongly disagree with. It, it allows for a lot of the things that we, we just find antithetical to police accountability, such as law enforcement officers being able to view body camera footage before they write down their statements of what happened in a given situation. Another problem that comes to mind is that, for instance, in Burlington, officers can turn on and off their cameras at will. So when they want to have a discussion or they want to change things up, all they got to do is press a button and the camera goes off and the microphone goes off. Then they press it when they want it to go back on. That means that we don't really know what happened there, why decisions certain decisions were made. And it certainly leaves a lot of questions when officers say, oh, the camera doesn't show anything, or the video was, was not taken, or it was lost. Uh, the question is why. Giving officers that kind of discretion only plays into the, the, the fear that officers are not being wholly truthful, as well as prevents us from holding them accountable when, when things may have been done incorrectly. The Burlington Police Department rolled out its first wave of body cameras, I think maybe a year and a half before I got here, maybe okay. a little more. And we've been using it ever since, and now we have a body camera for every employee. In the time that you've been using them, I mean, do you think that the use of those body cameras has had the intended effect? I think for the most part it has. I like The more you film yourself, or the more you are filmed, the less conscious you are of it, the more you revert to whatever your normal uh, baseline for your behavior is. But nonetheless, officers know they're on film. I think there's an effect of making them, not always, but oftentimes more courteous and more patient. And, you know, they know that they're expected to follow the rules, and there's proof about that. You know, I also think it, it has helped exonerate a lot of police officers when people make false allegations. And it's also helped us uh, really provide evidence in cases where we had to discipline officers, or at least in one case, for example, fire them. So I think all in all, creating this record, although it does intrude into people's privacy in public spaces and sometimes their homes, and although we get into debates about how to best release the footage and redact it, et cetera, all of that, I think net-net, it's an important accountability mechanism. And I stress it's a mutual one, right? It helps hold the public accountable for being honest about how it treats the police, and it also helps the police be accountable for how they treat the public as well. Do you think it's had an overall effect on, on public trust in your community of the department? Well, it's hard to tell because I've been here for three and a half years and the cameras were in effect before I got here. But I think in general, the effect on public trust is positive because 
people know that at least there's, it's not always perfect, right? Sometimes the camera footage is ambiguous. Sometimes it doesn't give you all the clarity you're hoping for, but at least it provides a fairly objective set of eyes that you can use to determine what happened. And I think it's good that it provides that recourse. Some of the other folks we've been talking to, and and I guess in in the Doyle case specifically, the uh, opposing counsel here is the ACLU, they've definitely come out and said, you know, we believe generally as a policy that... uh, body cameras should be a little bit better regulated in terms of how officers are operating them and then what happens to the footage afterwards. Do you feel like you would be open to additional regulations around how officers use body cameras? Do you feel like the rules that you have in place are adequate? I'd always be open to hearing good ideas about how we can make sure that body cameras are used fairly and that they offer good accountability for both police and the public when the public makes allegations or has concerns. You know, we are open to the length of retention, retaining different things for different reasons. For example, like critical incidents or use of force allegations or serious crimes. We want to retain things longer. Routine footage, I think that, um, you know, we'd have an interest in keeping it for a modest amount of time and, and, and purging it. But then there are also cases where we have to debate, you know, should officers be able to review their footage before they make statements? And, you know, there's a wide range of opinions on that, but we feel that if we're going to make an officer carry a camera and record everything he or she does, and that the government is always going to be accessing that evidence, that that the officer that wears that camera on his or her body should be able to see it too. That's a really different labor standard than most Americans work under. And in order to have the buy-in of the cops to wear a surveillance device about themselves on their chest, you know, we feel it's fair to say, well, you'll be able to see what the government surveilled of you and you can use it to write your reports and make your statements. Some people disagree about that, but I think it's an indispensable part of uh, this program. You disagree with the the notion, and we've heard this come out in the, the case around uh, Douglas Kilburn, right. that that could color the way an officer is, you know, testifying or or giving a statement about what happened in a given incident. I mean, listen, when people see their recollection refreshed or refined or influenced by the evidence about what they've done, it could change what they say. That is the contention that every person who reviews evidence before he or she testifies has to answer to. That's not only for the police. I mean, if you were just a defendant in a case, your attorney wouldn't let you take the stand until the attorney had reviewed all the evidence and sat down and said, listen, your statements need to be informed by the evidence. Police officers and anyone else who takes the stand are, are no diff. Their rights are no different. I mean, that's, that's something I, I, I'm, I'm curious about. Police don't, don't have any fewer protections or prerogatives than anyone else who, who the state possesses evidence about and is asked to speak about it. I asked Jay, in light of all these open questions, whether more officers should be using body cameras or not. The ACLU's position is that we're comfortable with officers having body cameras when there are strong policies in place that ensure they can be used by the public to hold those officers accountable when necessary. When we have policies like officers can turn their cameras on and off at will, or we have policies like law enforcement will show the body camera footage before officers make a statement, or where they're going to be recording in the general public when nothing's going on, a tool for surveillance, or even that video of victims and witnesses is going to be taken without their permission, that's when we have a problem. And right now, the policies don't seem to match up with the goal of accountability. 
one of the things we'll see that we have to be um, just aware of is that policing will continue to be challenging. People will continue to want accountability from the police. The police will continue to want to be vindicated when they haven't done anything wrong. And body cameras uh, help in that regard. However, they're getting faster and cheaper and more technologically advanced. And I think we're going to see a whole new set of questions of you know, if a body camera can scan the area around it and alert you to wanted criminals, is that going to be a possibility? I mean, I think what we're going to see is body cameras of one day soon linking to smartphones mm. and officers getting a whole bunch of information about the world around them through what the camera's seeing. And that's going to introduce real, you know, privacy concerns. It's also going to introduce public safety opportunities. And it's going to be really, really interesting to, uh, to resolve those. I think that both concerns and opportunities are valid. Despite all these big questions, you know, you feel like officers using body cams is, is an improvement over kind of the, the days before that was around. I think that it's an improvement, definitely, but also consider how much of a big change it is. Like you have this thing that is a surveillance device issued by the government that an officer wears on his body to not only surveil what the officer is doing, but to record everything that is happening around him when he's interacting with the public. Like that is in some ways like unremarkable because it's the world we live in and in England and other places, there's cameras everywhere. But that's a big shift from the world we lived in even, uh, you know, 15 years ago or 10. So I just, I don't know. I just think it's a really interesting time to be in policing and watch how the profession is shifting because of this technology. Alan, what happens next in the Doyle case? Oh, we're awaiting a Supreme Court decision and that could take several months to get to. Mr. Doyle made an interesting comment as we were walking out of court from the Supreme Court arguments, and he just said, you know, if I had thought about it, I would have just taken out my cell phone and recorded it myself so I'd have the video to see. When that decision comes down, you know, if it comes down for or against, like, what are the possible outcomes there and the implications for the next time around that, you know, we want to get body cam footage around some interaction that just happened with police? Well, hopefully there'll be clarity that just viewing the video tape of the the body cam footage is just an inspection and does not require the creation of a copy which can incur you know charges for people who want to view that video so if they come down and say that they do rule in favor of Doyle and the ACLU then the next time someone were to go and make that same request they'd be able to just walk into the police station sit down watch that footage, whether it's redacted or not, for yeah. free. Yeah. What if they rule against Doyle? Does that just mean nothing changes from here on out with the way that police departments handle those types of requests? I guess I don't know the answer to that because it seems like the policies are different from department to department, it seems. We've gotten, some departments have just handed us body cam footage. Sometimes it's been as a result of being introduced into evidence and they're is just a very minimal charge to get that through the court system of like $2. So I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Well, thanks, Alan. Yeah. You can find Alan's reporting on the Reed Doyle Supreme Court case at vtdigger.org. You can also see some of the body camera footage we've been talking about in cases where we have been able to get it. We'll have links on the episode page for this podcast, or you can follow VT Digger on YouTube or Facebook to see all of our video content. This podcast is The Deeper Dig. Every week we go deep on a key story we've been following. Just search for The Deeper Dig and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. 
Thanks again to our sponsors this week at AARP Vermont. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.